work with Clarissa, how about that? She's a good one, right? So welcome, welcome, yes, hey Clarissa. So thank you for uh, hoping that there's one thing, but what if there's two things you come away from with? Wouldn't that be something? Um, so I'm so glad to be with you this morning, and coming to this time when I was, knew I was going to be preaching, I got the choice of two different topics, and the topics were either brokenness or suffering. How about that? Two great topics. <laughs> I was excited. I am excited. And so I so chose suffering. And it's a topic that uh, is, uh, you know, as we walk through the li our life following Christ, um, we are uh, seeing that that's something that we, we need to address, be actually familiar with, and, um, and we know that there's good that can come from suffering, know that, but it's just that it's so hard. It's just so hard. In the Bible, there's a lot that is said about suffering directly, and there are a lot of stories. I would almost say that most of the Bible is about suffering. And so this morning, I'm going to touch just the very tip of the iceberg. But I would hardly recommend that if, you, if that's something that seems right to you, take some time, do it as a word study, do it as a, do it as a topical study, and sit with it. Um, because it will be, I know it will be very, very fruitful. So uh, first, I'll talk about suffering. We'll see some scripture that talks about suffering. Then we'll talk about hope, talk about the scriptures, put them together. And at the end, there will be one simple invitation. Would you pray with me, please? So God, we uh, come to you uh, knowing that uh, anything that comes from you is good, and so we pray that you'd open our ears, that we can hear what you have for us, Lord, individually, as a church, as a society, uh, for your word, uh, which goes out, will never come back void. So, Lord, <clears throat> we say, with Samuel, speak, uh, your servants are listening. Amen. <clears throat> so, Suffering is ubiquitous. It comes in many forms. It's ever-present. We cannot get away from it. Um, and that's not to say that we're always suffering because we're not always suffering. There are definitely times of great joy and peace and uh, goodness in our lives, for sure. But there are... I'm sorry, this thing. Okay, i got to go with it. Um, but there are... Uh, uh, if, even if we're not suffering, uh, we probably know somebody who's suffering. We may have somebody that we're close to that's suffering. We may read about in the news people that are suffering here or around the world. It is, um, we are living in a world of suffering. And even though we've been told many times in the scripture, and Jesus said it, in this world you will have trouble. And Peter said it, uh, don't be surprised at the fiery trials. We're warned, we're still surprised. It always takes us off guard. And the surprise element is one of the most difficult components of suffering, I think. Um, children are more vocal about it. You know when things are, are, uh, are when they're suffering. And uh, adults, we learn to be a little bit more subtle. Um, at core, suffering is not getting our own way. In a very simple way of putting it. Uh, things aren't the way that we want them to be. Things aren't happening like we want them to happen. We don't feel like we want to feel. 
It's not getting our own way. And uh, we want something to happen, and even when we want it and we can't have it, we suffer more. Um, but for today, I want to make sure that we understand that I'm not going to be talking about the suffering that comes from the consequence of our sin. Also a really good topic to look at, important, and it's true, it happens, but we won't be talking about that today. Also, uh, I'm not talking about abusive situations. So if you or someone you know is in an abusive situation, I'm not saying that you just need to stay there. We need to do all we can to extricate ourselves from that situation, whether it's physical, emotional, relational, mental, spiritual, anyway. Um, part of our stewardship of our life is to care for the life that God's given us. So I am not talking about there. And if you are in an abusive situation, please get out of it and get help. Or it may be that you need help to get out of it. So... Um, we, uh, so that's a word to, to kind of keep in mind. So uh, suffering is unfair. Haven't I been a good person? Didn't I take my supplements? Didn't I exercise? Wasn't I a, a, a great friend or a daughter or a wife or a husband or brother? Wasn't, um, what, what's happening here? Or why is that dastardly person doing so well and I'm not? It just doesn't seem fair. It seems random. Understanding can help, but where there is little to no understanding, it is so much worse. It's out of our control. That would be another thing that is just, um, it's not, uh, we don't get our way, and it's out of our control. No matter my pleading or my pushing, I can't make a dent in it. And sometimes we can't see an end to it. Or if somebody says there's an end, it's pushed back, kind of like this pandemic. Oh, we're going to get this, and, the, and it's like, no, we're still in it. That's part of suffering. That makes it harder. It may be physical. It may be relational. It could be betrayal. It could be a breach. It could be a cutoff or a rejection, misunderstanding, so many varieties. And it might be somebody who we love is that is suffering. And I think that is a particularly hard thing to suffer, watching somebody who's suffering when you can't make it better. And we each respond in a different way. And as a note, we have no idea why someone might respond poorly to suffering. We don't have any idea. Uh, but I would suggest that if we had that person's background, if we had their neuronal uh, wiring, if we had their family situation, if we, were had, if we were in their shoes, we would probably be acting just the same way as they are. All of us experience the absurd, the tragic, the nonsensical, the unjust, but we don't all experience pain in the same way. A couple of months ago, I was in for a routine um, procedure, an endoscopy, where they go on your throat because I have acid reflux. And you go there, and you, many of you, so they put you in a stall. They don't call it a stall, but that's what it is. Lined up in these stalls, and uh, with just a curtain, you know, a curtain. You can't see the person, but you can hear every single thing going on right next to you. And I was waiting, and I'm always a little nervous with those things, and I was waiting, and uh, they, uh, a gentleman came in next to me, never did see him, and I could, you know, you can kind of even feel the energy, and I could feel it, and there was, it was um, not a happy energy. And this, this gentleman was upset 
and mad. And I was waiting, and he, his nurse came in to start to do, take the information, and you could tell that uh, that wasn't going well. She was kind of wondering if he should have the procedure. She calls in another nurse, same thing. She's wondering anymore, even more, bringing the anesthesiologist, same thing. He's getting madder and madder, and they finally bring in the doctor from the room where he's doing the procedures, and the doctor's talking to him, and he says, I'm sorry, sir, we just can't do it for a variety of reasons, which made sense to me, being the doctor that I am. But um, this man, he is just, he is not happy, um, starting to use language, and, uh, and I am feeling kind of irritated at this guy. It's like, man, you are demanding. These guys are trying to help you. Well, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We haven't eaten all day, he and I and all the other people in the stalls, because you don't get to do that. And he says to the doctor, he says, doctor, you know I had that surgery. I haven't eaten anything all day. In fact, I couldn't take my pain medication. And I am in severe pain. And that opened me up. It changed everything with the way I could see this man. Of course, I would be acting just the same way, probably worse. So we remember that um, we remember that we don't know what's going on in a person's life for the reason they're acting that way. And then a couple weeks ago, I was uh, driving out of my uh, block and I was coming to a neighbor's house who I know. And I stopped because she was pulling out of her driveway in a really erratic way, just kind of pulling out, crashed into the car on the other side of the street. And the, you know, the mirror falls off, it's crunched. I roll down my window, my neighbor rolls, uh, gets out to tell the, the person whose car belonged to, and she says, Dory, he's got a brain bleed. And I had known that her husband had been in a car accident, and she had apparently just gotten this this message, and of course, of course she's just trying to get to the hospital. So I, it's just like, again, it's like, well, she's not a bad driver. She's got a lot going on. And we, we usually don't even know. And I remembered this quote, be kind, for everyone you know is fighting a hard battle. Be kind. So, we want to remember that. Give people the benefit of the doubt. What, what, what harm is that to us? Might as well. And also, we can increase our suffering by thinking that we should not suffer, that it's unusual. And we can, it can be that way because life's going along okay and then something kind of hits us. But actually, suffering is a part and parcel of being human. And it is even more than just being human. Suffering can lead to great growth. Richard Rohr writes, If we could see all our suffering and wounds as the way through to their transformative effect as Jesus did, then they would become sacred wounds and not something to deny, disguise, or export to others. The genius of Jesus' teaching is that he reveals that God uses tragedy, suffering, pain, betrayal, and death itself not to wound or to punish us but to bring us to a larger identity. Unless the single grain of wheat loses its shell, it remains just a single grain. The shell must first crack open for the expanded growth to happen. In such a divine economy, everything can be transmuted. Everything can be used, and nothing is wasted. 
That larger identity, it opens us up, and it may cut us open. But it does open us up from our small, self-contained self to someone who is a bigger person. I was talking yesterday on the phone to a friend who is going through a very hard time. And she said that she sees that God wants more for her than her coping mechanisms and fear. God knows that he made her for more, and fortunately for my friend, she sure does too. And Jesus just didn't teach about suffering. Recall the words from the book of Isaiah in chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Here we see the suffering servant, and we know that as we suffer, we are in good company. The suffering we are intimately familiar with, he is too. The, the physical pain, the emotional, relational, spiritual pain, the rejection, being misunderstood, falsely accused. He's familiar with that, and he's familiar with us. And he's not saying, come on, I did it, you can too. He's saying, uh, I see you, I'm your gentle shepherd, I know you. I know there's something bigger that's coming. And the writers of the books of the Bible did too. Here are the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8. I will begin reading at verse 18. Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to fr frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Continuing verse, with verse 22. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they've already seen? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. So we don't groan alone. We even groan along with creation. And we groan knowing that our bodies will be redeemed so that there will be a glory revealed in us is the language that creation and we will finally be liberated into freedom and in glory. There isn't the, this isn't the end here on earth. Uh, we know that we are looking at something we can't see, but we have hope because of Jesus. We see his life. We see his suffering, we see his crucifixion, we see his death, his resurrection and ascension. And he says, I went ahead of you, so we know we will be where he is. We will be there, and there's going to be something wholly new going on, not only then, but it can happen right now in the midst of our suffering. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See I am doing a new thing. 
and something new that might not be able to be happen, that might not be able to happen unless we are cracked wide open. And we see that the new thing will come as we fix our eyes on Jesus and not on the waves like Peter did and started sinking. And here's another thought. We say that we want to be like Jesus. We say that our goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is in the Bible, and we agree. And then remember that bracelet that said, what, what, did, what, did, what did Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Well, what did Jesus do? He did a lot of fabulous things, wonderful things. He also suffered. So in suffering, we are actually becoming more and more like him. He had hope, and we need hope. When things are going well, we don't even need hope because we're working it, we're seeing the end in mind. When we can't see it, in the middle of the suffering, that's when we need the hope. And this hope will not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Again, from the chapter of Romans 5. We can't make it happen. It is a grace. We cannot force hope. We can't fake it. It's a grace, and we can't sustain it. It's a grace. But we can place ourselves in the care of God and our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and receive it and nourish it and live in hope even when we don't feel especially like doing it. Again, from Romans 8, hope that is seen as no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? And by the way, if you are with someone who is hopelessly suffering, you be the hope. You be the hope. I've had people do that for me many times over the years. You don't need to have a lot of words. In fact, sometimes words are just, they're just not good. You don't need to even give them a bunch of Bible verses, although we know the Bible is living and active. You can incarnately be the hope. Just be there. Live it. Feel the hope within yourself for that person. One of the significant verses that my husband and I hung on when he was sick was from 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Suffering brings us out of the temporary earthly realm into the heavenly eternal one. So we're living by faith in the heavenly realms with our eyes fixed on Jesus, and while we're doing this and we're suffering, how in the world do we pray? Are we not supposed to pray to get out of it? Well, sure we are. Of course we are. We look to the psalmist. We look to the psalms that is the prayer book of the Christians throughout the whole time. And we see the psalmist. They're crying out for help. They're complaining. They're asking for mercy. And they also lament. In fact, the majority of the, Bible, the, of the psalms in the book of Psalms are psalms of lament. They cry. They plead. And most of all, they grieve and they lament. For the hope that eventually come, we cannot force it from God's hand. It is not worked on and by us. Hope is given. So we lament. We're human beings. We're not Stoics. We're not Pollyannas. We grieve for the losses we've sustained. Health, relationships, jobs, possessions. 
Whatever we grieve and lament, we don't do it with clenched fists, but our hands are open, longing for hope, for the hope that will carry us through. And N.T. Wright makes a wonderful point that it is not only the psalmist who laments, it is also God. He writes, God was grieved to his heart over the violent wickedness of his human creation, devastated when his people turned away from him. Jesus wept at the tomb of his friend. The doctrine of the Trinity teaches us to recognize the one God in the tears of Jesus and the anguish of the Spirit. So what we suffer and we will lament, we look to God for the grace of hope. And we might come even to a time when we can welcome anything and everything that comes to us through the hands of God. So we come to the ending and the invitation. This is a prayer that is uh, brought to the forefront by Thomas Keating, who was a Trappist monk. And this prayer is not for the faint of heart. It's not for everyone at every time in life. But perhaps it could be a starting point to consider, as it leads us to let go in a variety of ways and open fully to God. It's called the welcoming prayer. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire of survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open to the love and presence of God and God's action within. Amen.